You're listening to a Why Now podcast. This is Golden Nuggets podcast on whynow.co.uk. I'm your host, Al, and I'm a PE teacher of 15 years. This podcast is about interviewing key influencers in education and giving them a platform to deliver their story. I want to explore why and how they do what they do to better inform parents and pupils on their education journey. Great to have you on the Golden Nuggets pod, Amy, and um, the purpose of video game design. So, uh, yeah, just tell me a bit about yourself and uh, what you're doing at the moment. Okay, so, um, yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate that. Um, so, at the moment, I'm a national coach developer for the Football Association in the women's game. So, that's probably the, well, it is the first time the women's game has had, like, dedicated coach developers working, working across the professional uh, women's Super League, um, and then you've got the Women's Championship, which is the tier below, and National League, which is the third tier. And then also we work across the RTCs, which are regional talent centres, which is like equivalent to the Boys Academies system. Um, so, yeah, that's that's been a, an amazing job so far. I've been there about just over a year. So just getting out and about, meeting coaches, going to their contexts, understanding how they do stuff. And then trying to offer some some supports where I can to those coaches, and it's really cool as well because we've kind of got an opportunity as a team of women's coach developers to to kind of shape where we want or where we feel the game needs to go um, in the future. So learning from the boys' game, from the male game, taking the stuff that's really cool, really good. And then maybe trying not to make some similar mistakes that's that's occurred in in the male game. Um, obviously, what do you think? What do you think they are? Well, a big one that stands out for me in terms of coach development is like hiring and firing of managers and coaches, which obviously at the highest level, you know, the, the Premier League, which is the equivalent of the WSL, we see managers and coaches um, changing clubs quite often, um, leaving clubs. So again, just like we've kind of we're looking at that and we're thinking okay how can we better support staff and and clubs um to actually develop and to be supported and not necessarily to be judged on just winning and losing um I mean Klopp seems to have been there a bit and done a good job at Liverpool I think they might have got something going on there yeah yeah I think there's always the exceptions there's always (laughs) like those clubs that are you know, they look at stuff differently. And obviously he's like so influential as well, with just how he is as a person. Um, and that's, I mean, he's probably built built that up for a long time. But I guess in the WSL, it's all quite new. Um, so it's only been professional for a really short period of time. So just into their second season now, which is now kind of obviously on pause for now. Um, so yeah, kind of, that's what we're up to, just supporting coaches and... What I love about it is that I can see coaches work at sort of senior football level and I can see coaches work at sort of youth team, um, under 14s, under 16s, under 18s level as well. So that's really interesting for me to see that. Um, So that's what I'm doing at the moment. And prior to that, I was um, working at St. Mary's University in Twickenham and was there for quite a long time, actually, because I studied there as well. Uh, So sort of carried on afterwards, after studying. And... Um, I, I sort of when I left I was program director for the physical education 
undergrad and it's got elements of coaching in it as well which is why I ended up on the course because I'm much more coaching than I am physical education although I have dabbled in PE teaching in the past as well um, which I didn't enjoy I must admit so he swiftly moved on from PE teaching into <laughs> into more sort of full-time football stuff um, coaching stuff so yeah that that was a really challenging job at the end uh, really rewarding but really challenging just due to universities uh, the landscape at that time with the pressure um, the expectations to retain students to recruit students to support students um, and also to to research and to and also to to be okay in the classroom as well and actually engage your your students um, and relate to your students so very rewarding I learned so much and it's only now when I've left I realised how much I actually learned when I was in my time at St Mary's. Um, and yeah, I can't thank that university enough, actually. I think, you know, I learned, made some unbelievable friends, worked with some cool colleagues and just, just loved, loved being challenged every day. Um, it was a really cool job. And um, just talk to me a bit about the, the research that you were doing there. Um, so yeah, I started off, um, so obviously I did my undergrad there. Um, did the old classic dissertation that every undergrad has to do. Um, mine, mine was actually around coach behaviours. So I was looking at coach behaviours in, in a match day compared to a, a training. And I was a case study on one coach. And that was actually quite cool. Um, quite enjoyed that process. But then when I, when I did my master's there, at that point in my life, I was more interested in game-centred approaches. Um, so learning through games and play, I was really interested in that. Um, so that's when I started to focus in on video games because uh, obviously very successful um, industry, um, very good at getting people to become really good at the game, but also they really enjoy it. So that's what kind of fascinate, fascinated me around video games. My master's started off looking into similarities between learning in video games and then learning in team sport. Was there a particular moment where you're like, yeah, video games, that's going to work for me. And where, where was it from? Um, it was a Google. I just Googled what is a game. And I didn't mean video games at the time. I was just like, just games. What is a game? And then like naively didn't even realize that of course Google is filled with, game to google means like video game stuff just because of how popular video games are and then that's why i was like well okay like i'd never really thought of that before stumbled across um a professor called james paul g who um is at arizona state university at the moment an absolute legend of education um highly recommend anyone and everyone who's interested in education to have a look at his books um there's one i really enjoyed which is called the anti-education era um, where he he kind of discusses um, the modern day education system and the pros and cons of that in his opinion, but it's all related back to what he knows about video game design. What um, what was his general findings from that? Um, it hasn't necessarily got findings. It's more like opinions, his opinions of stuff. Um, and I guess to summarise, it's it's an explanation around why is education so disconnected from life. Like, why is the stuff that we're doing in education not 
necessarily always supporting the student to be able to go into the real world and utilize that knowledge and skills what, I mean, what's your opinion on that um my opinion on that i think it does depend on where you've taught and your philosophy around in that school around education and learning um, and the creativity of the, of the teachers in that environment whether they've got the time and the resources to to um to make it more meaningful where they can um, so yeah, I think it does depend. Of course, he's going to go in with an extreme perspective because he's obviously selling a book as well, and he wants he wants that to come across really clearly. Um, but yeah, obviously, it it does depend, in my opinion, where you are as a teacher. Okay, um, let's go back to video game design then, and and just talk about. I know you've mentioned a previous podcast that you play with your your, your brother, um, and then. Maybe was there something was like a magic moment for you when you were playing one of these games where you're like, oh, this is really cool. Um, yeah, so I have four, I always forget how many, three older brothers and two younger brothers. So, um, growing up before my younger brothers were born, I used to spend most of my time, um, with Robert, who was like the next brother in line. So he was six, he was nearest to me in age, six years older. And us two growing up used to spend a lot of time video gaming um, purely because he wasn't particularly sporty, but I was. But because he was the older one, I had to do what he wanted. So what he wanted was staying inside, playing on video games. And I was like, okay, that's cool. Like, I just want to do what you're doing. So like, I admired him. So we'd play video games and he was brilliant. And he used to play like Sonic, Mario, Mini Micro Machines, Lemming. These are all of the like the 90s Mega Drive type of games um and i'd always finish second but i always always enjoyed playing or mortal Kombat was the other one we used to play a lot of I've, i figured out in that game how to how to beat him because if you got if you got the opposition in a headlock yeah. there was actually no way they could get out so <laughs> if i did that it would really really annoy him um and that that was how i'd win but so i spent a lot of time doing that but then when he when when i wasn't doing that in my spare time I was sitting, this is, I can remember this distinctly, I'd be sitting in my garden on the swing watching my two oldest brothers who were like 10 years older than me or like eight to 10 years older than me playing football with their friends. Um, and they used to get all their friends around and play like four-a-side football in the garden. And I'd sit on the swing. I wasn't allowed to play because um, I was an annoying little sister. But I used to get fetch the ball for them when it went in the bush. And I was like, yeah, I'll go and get the ball for you. I was so keen used to watch, watch them play. And then I eventually joined a football team and loved sport at school, played with the boys in the playground, um, all into this football side of it. And so that, that's why I feel like I had two sort of really key sort of experiences growing up. The football with my older brothers and then the video game with my other brother. And then that's, I'm looking back, maybe that's why I sort of ended up putting those two things together i think uh it, it's interesting you're talking about connecting there in terms of trying to connect the younger population which is what you started with and also obviously everyone's got you know a lot of people got brothers and sisters and then how you connect with them um i think sport and video games is two big universes for, for that to happen yeah. what was like what was the process now we talked much more about from a sort of coaching practice how did you link the video game design to coaching practice? Um, that was, and still is, really challenging. But 
at the time, um, I obviously using G's work. So I looked, it's very abstract, it's very conceptual. G talks about all of these features that are prominent in video game design, all of these features that are good for learning. And all of, he said, he argues that all the games have them, and that's why they're popular video games. Um, so but he doesn't apply his work. So it's very much just kind of, this is what he thinks, this is his ideas. So my job was to apply it. So I was like, okay, first thing I wanted to do was with the team I was coaching at the time, which was um, a really talented group of young um, female players. So they were, they were only eight, nine years old, but very, very good players. And we used to train once a week and that was it. And so my season in my, my season long project with that group was to actually interpret G's features of good game design into those training sessions. And I'll tell you what, I, well, first of all, I must've looked like a terrible coach at times because I was just trying stuff out, making lots of mistakes. It didn't look easy on the eye, what I was delivering. It probably didn't work half the time. Um, but sometimes it did. And, and the process did, uh, like it did involve the players in terms of getting their views. They're only eight, nine years old. So obviously how I did that was relatively simplistic, appropriate to their age. Just general chit chats. How did you find that? What did you feel? What did you like? Um, and stuff like that. So yeah, that's what I did for a season. They're just trying to make sense of all of G's work. And even at the end of that season, I'd say I still didn't know. I knew it was hard and challenging to do that process, but I just didn't know the answers. Let's uh, let's actually discuss what that means, because for a lot of people listening, they're probably like, okay, th this is all well and good, but what, what actually is video games approach? Like, talk Because some people might not even know what video game design actually is. So, Yeah, so um, according to G, empower, empowerment, deep understanding, and problem solving are the three principles that underpin any video game and how it's designed. So if you think back to the games you've played, and I know you were playing Mario Kart last week, Al, so Certainly. <laughs> <laughs> like, you can probably, you probably wouldn't disagree mm -hmm. that problem solving, empowerment and deep understanding, like were there in the background, in, whether that was explicit or implicit, you probably felt that going on a little bit. Um, so first of all they're the principles but what he talks about actually in terms of the mechanics of the game in terms of how it actually is designed there's 13 features of good game design and don't ask me to recite them off the top of my head because at the moment I can't can't remember them all um, but one of them for example is manipulation and distributed knowledge which sounds like a mouthful what the hell does that mean but it basically means um, in video games you can, uh, there's opportunities for you to perform more effectively for short periods of time via superpowers. So you can, in Mario Kart, you drive through the question marks and then it tells you what you've got. So you might have got a red shell. So you've got a red shell, you've only got one red shell, you've got to decide when you're going to fire that shell, who you're going to fire it at. Um, and, it, and it, will, it will hit the person in front of you and it will probably enable you to overtake them. So it's just allowed you to become more effective for a really short period of time. Um, so that's a feature that he calls it manipulation and dis distributed knowledge. I call it a superpower. Um, 
So that's an example. So he had 13 of these features which overlapped and crossed over and were really abstract, which were quite difficult to relate back to reality in terms of whether that be in a classroom with your, with your students or out on the pitch with your players. So I basically, after that season with that team, had some more thinking time. I spoke to, luckily my network, I feel like I have really fortunate with my network of trusted people around me and really knowledgeable people to have good conversations with about this stuff. So it just evolved and it just like, coaches started to, around me started to, interested too and they would relate it back to their their coaching and their team and their players and what they think and they would come back to me with ideas and experiences of try of like using this stuff let's talk about those ideas i, I quite like to hear all the people's ideas with superpowers <clears throat> okay so um a colleague i used to work with at saint mary's coaches academy football under 15s at the time um and he was considering the use of a invisible cloak um, as a superpower. So it makes you invisible if you earn this power. And it means that you can't get caught offside. So I thought, oh, that's quite a cool one. Um, and honestly, I think, I think a lot of the good ideas in terms of all of this, like in terms of designing games, I think coaches themselves I find come up with the best stuff and that's probably my learnings is where I've where I moved from St Mary's University where I was coaching football every night to my role now where it's purely coach development that's probably where actually because I'm not coaching all the time it I'm I kind of don't have that now I don't have that opportunity to be really creative with my players and really try and think outside the box of how these game designs could look so just he was on the uh, the design principles though just going back to the the structure of of the actual session how it might look yeah what, what are the, if we just go through those design principles and try to get a bigger picture of how it all fits together yeah of course so um i didn't want 13 features so so g has 13 actually before that it was like 32 or something like that and then he narrowed it down to 13 and i'm like i still don't think 13 features is a good is is really uh usable for coaches i think that's just a bit too much so having looked at them and when they cross over um i was able to group them and to make sense of them in that way so uh so the, the digital video games approach to coaching or teaching which is basically my phd work which stemmed from my master's work has five principles for design so that is missions which is the first one so I'm just going to talk about missions. I'll talk about them all, but I'll sort of talk about how they're different to what we might traditionally do as teachers or coaches. So missions is like, instead of a learning objective or instead of a real specific focus of your session or your lesson, a mission is actually a really broad it's like a goal as opposed to like really specific stuff that you want them to learn. So if you were a maths teacher, by the way, I'm terrible at maths, but if you were a maths teacher, for example, you would probably like design a lesson around the stuff that you want them to learn. So for example, if it was algebra, 
your learning objective would be or objectives would be in relation to the skills of algebra whereas this is like this isn't this is like the opposite to that so it's saying okay set a mission so like in mario where your mission is to the whole point of the game is to save the princess from the castle like that's why mario is doing what mario does and how mario does that changes all the time so in the first level he might be trying to kill all of the weird little creatures that are in his way and or the next level we might be trying to avoid all of the lava so he's jumping over the lava or he's bouncing off walls but in the end it's still the point of it he's trying to get the princess from the tower so it's like the end goal as opposed to you're not telling mario right in this session you're trying to learn how to jump or you're trying to learn how to turn or spin or jump over lava so um that's what video games are really cool at that it's it's strategic you're not prescribing skills for people to learn and understand you're actually setting a goal and it's up to the player to decide on what skills to use and when and why and they end up using lots of different stuff actually and then deciding what stuff is most useful at what time quite interesting that concept i looked at uh, something that warren abrahams did about about an anchor principles of play of rugby and then direction of movement is is in different directions but you don't know where you're going i think that's quite an interesting concept uh that not having a te technical or tactical uh focus it's purely just there's the goal figure it out adapt change plan do whatever yeah it's not yeah it is exactly that no technical tactical focus if we were talking football or rugby stuff um but it isn't necessarily just go and figure it out so this is where then the other the other features the other principles of design come in. So, so you set that mission. Um, the next one would be level ups. So, as we've all played video games, we all know that the first level is usually easier. Once you've well, once you've understood how to use the controller and like you've not <laughs> died five times in the first. <laughs> Then you start to realise, oh, okay, like I've done this level, and then you level up, and it gets a bit harder, a bit harder, a bit harder. Um, obviously, it's we're like, it's like a Mario Kart where you got fifty CC, hundred, and then hundred and fifty, so different yeah. levels that way. Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah, exactly. And I know there's different types of video games out there which aren't as linear with that progression, but ultimately, you as the person playing the game has control over when it becomes more difficult, if you want it to become more difficult, or if you just level up, it naturally becomes more difficult. So, um, yeah, so I thought about that in, the, in terms of football, because obviously that's where I was looking at it in, in particular at the time. And how can, I, how can I introduce level ups? How can the game become more complex progressively? Which is really hard in an invasion game because it's quite chaotic. And there's more than one person playing at the same time. <clears throat> and that was a key finding from my masters is actually where there's multiplayer, that becomes quite tricky to manage because you don't want to overcomplicate stuff. You don't want to make it so kids are like, what's going on? Like, I don't understand. Like, so I looked at football and I said, okay, time and space, like most, like, like most games um, in terms of physical games, are the two factors that usually dictate complexity. So if there's like less time and less space, that might make the game more complex because everything's happening quicker. Um, 
and I'm just thinking okay in video so if I was to use that in my practice maybe level one um, I can control time and space it's really controlled whereas like level 10 might be you know not very controlled so an example is um, in football if you're just playing a match so a 5v5 match a simple thing that and I know a lot of coaches use this is they would grid out the area and maybe have some channels um, lengthways and then put players in channels and say actually to start with you're locked in those channels and what that means is it's still a match but it just means that me and you for example Al, we're in the left hand channel and we can't go in the other channels um, so what that really means is that we're playing a little 1v1 even though we're in a bigger game of say 5v5 we've actually got a little 1v1 going on so to start with that's probably like quite a simple probably the simplest way that we could possibly play a game of football uh, but then as the game gets harder or we level up actually I might be able to come out of my zone so actually then it's got a bit harder for me because I've got more decisions to make it's become more complex because time and space is now changing for me where it's not changing for you because you're still in you're still locked in so that was that's kind of my first thought around that and how we can try and integrate some sort of level up system cool and then superpowers i mean obviously if if you've got a bunch of academy kids they're all pretty decent right but in any school where you've got a class of 20 yeah who you have to teach by yourself and you're already by yourself, um, you might want to introduce a few of them as well, maybe. Yeah, 100%. So, again, superpowers is not, um, it's not for the, the poor kids. Like, it's not for the, the ones that aren't very good. Like, I think the misconception is, oh, yeah, like, we need a superpower because little Johnny or little Jane don't get it, it can't play. It's like, no, 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 like, superpowers aren't for that reason. Superpowers, like... I'm actually quite good at Mario Kart, I must say, because I've been practicing just for you recently. <laughs> and like, I don't, I don't go through a question mark and hope to earn a red shell because, because I'm not very good and I'm like always last in the race. Like, I'm going to be doing that even when I'm first. Like, yeah, sure. So, so I love how you like always. Everyone always uses little Johnny. I mean, poor little Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> Johnny. Yeah. Never call your kid Johnny. No. Um, but yeah, so you kind of, the superpowers, the key to this is that they're earned. They're not just given out by the coach. And the point of that is the player has to realise that actually I need this now. Or I need to find a way of how do I earn that? How do I actually get that? So obviously in the Mario Kart, you have to line up your car against the question mark. And that is you earning it. Mm. It's just given to you. Um, in Sonic, where you jump up into the palm tree to get the, the fast feet token, you had to jump up into the palm tree and find that, and, and, you, and that was you earning it. Mm. So again, as, as coaches and teachers, how can we design stuff, design superpowers that can be earned, so players have to think about, why am I using this? How do I get it? How do I then use it when I've got it? Because it won't last forever, it's temporary. Um, so, you know, whether it's the invisible cloak that enables you to be offside earned because I picked up the cloak at the right time. Um, it was a bib lying on the floor, for example. 
Um, and also like, it, this is the this is the other debate that a lot of people would have is how realistic are superpowers how realistic are they to like an actual game of football um and i know they're not realistic but that's not the point it's not trying to be realistic it's trying to create a situation where you get that player to think about all that stuff i've just mentioned there we have pausing which i feel i feel probably is the principle where I think a lot of coaches and teachers are really intrigued by because in, in most environments, whether that's in school or outside school, the person learning is waiting for the teacher or the coach to, um, to say, okay, and stop there. The next part of the session is, da, 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 mm. or, actually had you thought about and ask a question or I'm going to show you or whatever it is. So actually we're flipping it and we're saying, actually like in a video game, you're in control of the controller. So if you're going to pause, you decide that you're going to pause, not anyone else. So you might pause whether like, whether you pause because it's like dinner time or whether you pause because you actually just want to chat to your mate about something that you're finding difficult in the game or pause just purely because you've had enough. Like, we want the kids in our sessions to be in charge of that. So can you pause and actually say, as a, as a, as a player, as a learner, as a student, can I pause and say, do you know what? I need a little bit of help with this. Or this needs to be harder for me because I'm finding this quite easy. Or whatever it is. Because the beauty of video games is that that's, that's what we're asking the player to do all the time. No one's telling them what to do with that. And um, that doesn't mean that the teacher or the coach does nothing. Because again, that's the misconception. I'm not saying the game is the teacher and I'm not saying that the teacher just stands back and does absolutely nothing. The teacher's job, if using this approach, is to observe, is to be ready when called upon. Because I might pause and I might, and you might be my teacher out and I might say, do you know what? Ow, I've, uh, in this part of this algebra equation, I'm getting stuck. I don't, I really can't get over this little part here. I don't understand it. If you haven't observed, observed me in that process or, or taken or concentrated on what I'm, what I'm doing and what I'm not doing, you might not be best placed to actually support me with that. Um, but when I do ask for your help, you're ready. You're coming in. This is your time. This is your moment to coach. This is your moment to teach. Um, so the moments to coach and teach might become less, maybe, but become maybe more powerful, more meaningful because you've been called upon. Um, maybe they don't want you to be like really, really given those of help. They might say, don't, don't tell me the answer. Actually, just give me a little bit of a hint because you do get those types of kids who are quite stubborn as well, who don't, don't always want the teacher and the coach <laughs> to tell them it straight away. Yeah, my kids are both like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's that's the pause. Um, I suppose that's a really interesting uh, dynamic, though, because like, unless you're Xavier, right, no one can read people's minds. You can pick up nonverbal cues, but actually I think that's a really powerful uh, process for from a player-led environment. Mm. That people can actually do that as well, where I think a lot of teachers or parents sort of think that 
oh, I'm under scrutiny. I have to perform. I have to be showing to do this, that and the other. But there's no evidence about your impact and when you do it and how you do it and when you do it. There's no evidence of that. So it's just what's going on in people's minds. Oh, and that's the key. And that's the key is, um, is trying to help the, the learner to actually become more aware of the process they go through when they solve problems. And that's, that's, that's what's really the theoretical side of it all, really, is you can't see what's inside someone's head. Like, we'll never, we never will be able to do that. So if we can create situations where learners are encouraged to actually be more aware of what they're thinking, then it gives the coach or the teacher an opportunity to be, to be more aware as well. Um, so how often as a teacher or a coach do we come back to where we left off from like a video game so where we save it it's loaded we turn it back on it's it doesn't make us start from the beginning because that's not where I'm at I've already done that bit um, so can we try and I talk from a probably my my experience is definitely more from coaching um, and maybe that doesn't happen so much in coaching I don't know about teaching maybe teachers are actually quite attuned to that I'm not too sure but obviously it's more motivating obviously it's more challenging for the learner and actually promotes a little bit more risk-taking because in the sonic game where you get halfway into the level and you ring the bell if you ring the bell it means that if you die you don't have to start from the beginning you get to start from the bell so actually for the next once I've rung the bell the next part of the like when I'm doing the next part of the level I'm going to be more risky I'm going to try some stuff because I know I don't have to start from the beginning and that's that again is just a really um useful way of looking at how we design learning experiences for kids over a period of time I really like that I like that I like when you ring the bell it's like oh thank god I'll just start again right from the start <laughs> yeah uh so non-sporting environment i think that's that's one of the key things for me um is like what how how do you actually apply it in the classroom mm. yeah so i think there's definitely scope to apply this approach in any environment um so i have i do know there is maths and science teachers out there who have given it a go I haven't seen it myself, so I don't know what it looked like or how it went or whether it was true to those principles. But essentially, the five things I've mentioned are transferable, aren't they? Because if you've got a group of people in front of you sitting down in a classroom or you've got a group of people out in front of you running around a football pitch, it's, it's just creating learning experiences. So missions. Could a teacher have a session where actually the mission is X rather than these are our learning objectives. I don't know. Maybe that comes back down to the philosophy of the school, the pressure on the teacher, the, the fact that these kids might be preparing for exams and actually it might be more of a need to feed them some content to prepare for those exams. I don't know. I don't know enough about the teaching world from that perspective, but I think the key, if a teacher is intrigued with this, it's, it's that, okay, why, why are you intrigued? Is it because it sounds 
different and new and interesting or is it because it's actually got a purpose behind it and that's that's what we haven't spoken about yet which is the purpose so the purpose of this is metacognition the whole point behind the video games approach is to develop strategic thinking so the when and the why to do stuff and to be aware and in control of your own thinking which definitely in the sporting environment is hard to do because the game if it's football for example the game happens really fast so there's there's all there's not always a lot of time to think if you're in a classroom learning science it's probably like quite relatively slow paced and actually you do have time to think so there is definitely scope to be metacognitive in the classroom um and if if i guess if teachers value strategic understanding and uh, metacognition if that's something they value then that's the approach that needs to be used because that's what that approach does that approach doesn't necessarily make you a genius in knowing all of the theory behind science but it will help kids to develop their ability to think strategically have you heard of uh, classcraft no what's that so it's something that i've tried briefly and it's about using what you said um with the kids and they have their quest and there's different goals with the quest and then they've got basically within that so like joint actions neuromuscular biomechanical principles and then they choose their own journey and then they've got a set of skills and they've got a warrior okay. and they can upskill their warriors with certain powers yeah um and then you can sort of like put constraints in so if someone's done something bad or behaved poorly in the class you can put negative points on certain things as well. Okay. Does that does that could could that work? That ideology behind it, or I mean, you probably um, you said you based upon what you said there, um, I'd say I'm not sure because I probably have to see it and experience it myself. Um, I was just thinking about a conversation we've had previously, and I know you asked me this question, but this might be a timely opportunity to yeah, cool gamification, yeah, and how is gamification linked to all of this and what's what's it how's it different um so i guess coming back to that example you've just given is it comes back to the what's the purpose behind that like was it to control the kids behaviors and make sure that people are engaged enjoying learning and not causing trouble or was it something else was it deeper than that i'm not sure and that's from my perspective, that's where what I'm speaking about differs. What I'm speaking about is metacognition and actually strategic understanding, strategic thinking, not engagement. So I think what you'd find when you use a video games approach is that kids are more engaged, but that's not the point of it. Um, whereas I'd say probably the purpose, the initial purpose of, a, of a gamification is, is to um, motivate people to engage people um in that process and then as as a secondary outcome they might actually end up learning some stuff so that's where the, the purposes are flipped for each of them if that makes sense yep yeah that makes sense um yeah it's, it's interesting because when, when i was doing this as well what you've said quite it's, I don't know, it sort of, it sort of resonated with me slightly thinking, why am I, you know, for engagement, am I just doing it because I enjoy it or yeah. a couple of kids enjoy it 
or is it actually beneficial and has it made an impact on the whole classroom environment? Um, yeah. But I mean, game, gamification is a different different conversation for a different time. But yeah. um, what's the have you have you found? Uh, so if we talk about sort of evidence, we sort of approach that briefly. But um, in terms of have you actually said, oh, this person has adopted video games approach and they have seen success and this is what success looks like? That's a really good question. So ad hoc, I'm hearing from coaches quite a lot about how they've said, you know, kids are now thinking and talking more about what they're trying to do and why they're trying to do it. Um, kids are trying stuff in these games that we haven't seen them try before. Kids seem like they're more engaged. So that secondary outcome is coming out. Um, in terms of like proper, what I say, proper evidence, that's what I'm going through at the moment in the PhD. So it's like, it's going to build up to that. So the final study, which won't happen for a few years, um, is going to look at exactly what you said there around if, if a coach is using this approach frequently in their practice, how can we now look at the effect it's having on game understanding? Because that's the whole point of it. It's about understanding. It's not about engagement. Um, so we want to look at the understanding of the players and has their understanding become more strategic over time? The video games approach to coaching is really, really new. You know, like in 2017 was the first time it was, it was, it was published in a peer review peer reviewed article as an actual approach to coaching. Mm. So and it's only 2020 now. So there just, there just has to be those steps in between like the, the, the paper after the 2017 was again, more about the theory. You know, you have to be really clear about the theoretical underpinnings of this before we just dive into impact. Cause all of that theory is, is the purpose of why we're doing it. That metacognition, you know, I talk about metacognitive game skills, which is the point of using this approach. So let's, again, talk, let's talk about metacognition quickly, because some people out there might be like, I don't know what you're on about. Yeah. So again, it's that, um, it's that ability to think about your own thinking. So can kids, can players, can students, are they aware of their thoughts? Can they start to control their own thinking? And, and, and that's when, you would probably begin to see a little bit more strategic or more of a, a strategic approach to how they do stuff. So if that be on the field or in the classroom and just to break that down further, it this, the three metacognitive game skills that I speak about are, which stem from metacognition is the ability to, to plan ahead. So as a footballer, as a rugby player, as a student, am I planning my next move or am I just responding to whatever happens in front of me? And I might just be a purely responsive and instinctive player, which is also important, but not purely important. So I need to be instinctive, but I also need to be well-planned. And then the second skill is, um, is da -da -da, it's completely gone out of my head. <laughs> Uh, I can tell you the third one. So the third one is like information gathering. So finding out some stuff. So if you're a footballer, a rugby player, a student, when I'm in that environment, whether that's the game or something else, can I be picking up on certain information that I need to know in order for me to progress in this game? 
So the typical one I give in football is when the whistle blows and I'm playing centre forwards and you're playing centre back, am I testing how quick you are? I want to know. I've not played against you before. I need to know if I'm quicker than you or not. So can I try and run in behind you, see if I can beat you? Because I And then I've purposefully done that because I want to know what you're good at and what you're not good at because that's going to inform my next moves. And and the set, if we, so so actually this is interesting because I wanted to sort of uh, summarise with three golden nuggets, and we've got we've got <laughs> uh, information processing. Possibly is that would is that no no it's not no I wouldn't call it that um, okay. information gathering Gather, gathering okay. um, which is really Pla- planning but also be okay with being instinctive yep and yep. so the, th- the second one is. Um, the ability to problem set. So like we talk a lot in, in education and coaching around problem solving, which is really important. But this one is, is also about problem setting. So in a game, my job is to make it hard for you. It's not just to solve the problems that you keep throwing at me. Cause then I'm always on the back foot. So can I actually trip, try to trip you up? Cause that's the whole point of the game. Um, and in a video game, you see that all the time. The, the, if you're playing against a computer, the computer will make it hard for you. And then you try and make it hard for them. So, yeah, that's the third skill. So um, how that will work in a classroom is quite an interesting one because in a classroom, that's where probably as a teacher, you would be looking to use this approach in a game, in, in a game-like way. So... You wouldn't just be like, it, when you're applying all of those five principles that we spoke about, like superpowers, missions, levels, etc. that would be within a game-like situation so that the people taking part can have the opportunity to problem set against their opponent, to find out information that they need to find out in order to progress. And then, of course, the first one around um, planning their next move. That's great, Amy. Thanks very much for coming on the podcast. And uh, yeah, I look forward to hearing much more about the research you're doing in that field and trying implementing it into the classroom. Thank you.